everyone, and welcome to God's Plan, Your Part, a podcast where our goal is to read the entire Bible in a year, seeking to understand God's plan of redemption while discovering daily and practically your part in it. Hey everybody, welcome back. We are still here in Ezekiel. We are coming towards the end of the book, but uh, for now we are in chapters 40 and 41. And we're coming out of the whole like repetition of this city, this nation is being prophesied against, yada, 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 and moving into an entirely different pace. Uh, It is definitely strange though, because I feel like there's a lot of things going on that are like, you have to really read into or read lots of different opinions about to understand what's even actually going on, uh, because it seems super straightforward, but actually has very different meanings. So if you remember way back in like the initial chapters of Ezekiel, there was a vision that Ezekiel had about people basically using the temple of the Lord for like the total opposite of what it was needing to be used for. So much so, uh, Ryan, you had mentioned that passage about, um, was it an angel came down and would mark the heads, the foreheads of individuals who were actually using the temple for what it was for, right? Yeah, he was marking actual righteous people, and you, yes. you got the feeling that there was not many of those people. Mm-hmm. So that was the vision that he had before. Basically, the temple was just this, like, awful place. Now he's having a vision of the new temple, and the new temple is interesting because I'm just reading this through, and it's just, it's lots of different measurements and, like, what the temple is going to look like, what it will be used for, all these things, and I'm like, oh, I've heard this before, but what is strange about it is that it's actually, like, because if you just read it for face value, it's just a bunch of measurements. But when you think about what he's actually envisioning, this is a new temple that is a complete, like, opposite of the temple that he had seen in his vision at the beginning of this book. So digging into it a little bit further, Ryan, you were comparing many different opinions of what this actually means for us. So this is pretty funny. There's actually a note in our study Bible that says, this is probably the most difficult oh. passage in the Bible to understand. I read that right before we started reading. I was like, oh boy, here so we like, go. Oh, awesome. This should be fun. Uh, which I think it is fun. The first important thing... <laughs> you would say that. The first important thing to understand is probably chapter 40, uh, verse one, mm-hmm. in the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year, listen to this, after the city was struck down, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me. So first thing that you need to know before you jump into Ezekiel 40 is that this is after everything has been destroyed. Mm-hmm. So that is significant because the temple that Ezekiel is seeing in a vision is definitely just a vision because the city has been destroyed. The temple has been destroyed. Everything that was meaningful in the temple was carried off. It was melted down. It was stolen. It was plundered. So if you're just reading this, it's like, oh, look, it's like a, it's like a temple. Like, no, the <laughs> temple <was> me. <laughs> didn't exist. Like th- this was just. They had experienced utter destruction 14 years before. And for Ezekiel to be walking around telling people that he saw the temple, that like that would just be insane. They would probably be annoyed. Like, dude, come on, really? So the question then becomes, like, what even is this? I was going to say, right before you go into what is this, um, our study Bible also mentions, and I hadn't really noticed, I actually was looking at 
other chapters before, it's always marked, but it's almost like journal entries yes. of like Ezekiel's thoughts because yeah. he always mentions the year, the day, the month, whatever. Um, this chapter 40 is the last time that we will hear of a specific date. And our, our study Bibles say that this is like the beginning of Ezekiel's end, like his his time of like prophecy is over. Yeah, yeah, it's the wrap up. Mm-hmm. Um, the the date is much later, so this is written much later than the earlier works. Right, um, but it does serve as a fitting conclusion because most of the book has been death and destruction, mm-hmm. and a lot of this is going to be restoration. So I always liked it when people just tell me what people think of things rather than what to think of things. <laughs> Um, so there's, there's pretty much four views on these passages and, and I'm kind of, I'm going to cover more than just 40 and 41, because this is an extensive vision that covers several chapters. The first one is that Ezekiel could be describing the floor plan for the temple when it gets rebuilt. So the people are going to return from exile. That's going to happen. Uh, they are going to be called to build a new temple that is going to happen. And the idea in this interpretation is that they were supposed to follow Ezekiel's plans exactly. Mm -hmm. And God had revealed his new plans for his new temple through Ezekiel. And it was supposed to play out exactly like this is written. Um, People have raised a couple different problems with that. One of the problems is that Ezekiel is not an architect. And so some of the things that he is revealing is a little bit sketchy. Um, Is that like measuring with reeds? (laughs) That would have been kind of normal then. But um, basically, like you could say, well, God's revealing it. It's not imperfect. It's it's God's word. Um, Another way you can look at this and interpret this is that there's like, this is a vision of a future fulfillment of a temple. That temple is Christ's church and Christ's church will be wonderful and it will be glorious and it will be as amazing as Ezekiel says it will be. The problem with that is what's up with all the sacrifices that are going to happen later on. We believe that Jesus was the ultimate perfect sacrifice. We believe that we no longer need to make sacrifices. Mm -hmm. So why are sacrifices being made if this is to represent Christ's church? It's kind of odd. The third view is a blend of the first two views. So it's like, well, yeah, these were like elements of what was supposed to be built. It wasn't completely built, but it's also kind of supposed to be God's church. So that's kind of cool. So you kind of just pick, you pick what you like from the first one and the second one, and you make it your third one. Yikes. Uh, so there are obvious problems with that. One of them being you're just like picking whatever you like and discarding whatever you don't like. So it's a little bit strange. The fourth one is that this final writing of Ezekiel is actually a different type of literature, which is probably, if, if you pushed me, this is probably the view that I resonate with the most, but don't lock me into it because I like to read a lot. I like to try to understand mm-hmm. a lot. I'm not saying this is my view. I'm saying this is the one that resonates with me the most. Um, the fourth view is that this is apocalyptic literature. And when you read apocalyptic literature, just like you read Revelation, uh, it is highly symbolic. A lot of things are meant to represent other things. There is a lot of exaggeration. There is a lot of hyperbole. Apocalyptic literature doesn't really exist much anymore. So it's hard for us to wrap our heads around it because we don't always understand it. But numbers are a big deal. Symbols are a big deal. And ultimately, usually apocalyptic literature represents some kind of bigger picture thing, bigger than what is being represented here. Hmm. And so I think that probably what's being represented is Ezekiel's view of this amazing future where God is reigning supreme, God is in control, Mm -hmm. evil has been destroyed, God's people live in unity, they live together in like a holiness of worshiping the Lord together. That is how people who see this view see it. Um, that the final part of this book is to represent 
the goodness of God's people dwelling together and worshiping him. And it's really kind of um, an object lesson uh, using the temple to represent the ultimate restoration of God's people, which we do believe will happen. So I'm not going to get nailed down on fighting with anybody about any of these. I think really, if you start picking fights, that's a little bit weird. Ultimately, what we care about is serving the Lord. And this vision is important to us. So we should read it. We shouldn't discard it. Uh, we should strive to understand it. But there are a lot of different views on it. I think the most important thing, though, after reading this is to not just take it for face value and to really think about, because I think I've taken for granted the amount of time that is passing through this prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it, we're ending on the 25th year and we start out way at the beginning. So, like, so much time has passed. And what's important, if you're not careful, is that this is like a pivot from exile, doom, and gloom to moving into what this future will be. Yeah, it's restoration. So like, yeah. yeah. So I think it's really important to like not miss that because I definitely did. I started reading through and just like started just taking mental notes of all these measurements and all these things. And so it's very important not to miss what's going on here, this pivot from doom and gloom to future hope. And the easiest way to see that is to think about the original audience that received this from Ezekiel. Yeah. They would be pretty much experiencing a pretty serious downer. Like they have been beaten. They have been destroyed. Yeah. Their relatives have been killed. Their friends are gone. Their city is gone. Their temple is gone. And so when Ezekiel comes out and talks about this brilliant temple that he's seen, this wonderful giant structure that has, we'll get to this in a second, the presence of the Lord in it filling it. That is a world they've never known. Mm -hmm. That is a world they've never seen. And it is something that motivates them to look forward to the redemption and the restoration that is promised um, in their new in their near future, but also in our future. Yeah. So it's kind of this dual promise that we are going to dwell with God. We are going to worship God. We are going to enjoy unity with him. And we're not going to be living the life that Ezekiel explained earlier in the book in chapter 8 to chapter 11, where the temple is being used for evil. Here, the temple is being used for righteousness, for holiness, for worship of the Lord. We can all look forward to that. So mm -hmm. the, your part is just to look forward to that. Um, hopefully, you learned a little bit about how to handle the text well. Uh, try not to get locked in and get in fights, uh, but definitely try to understand it and just trust that God is moving and working. And ultimately we can look forward to a time together with him and we can enjoy unity with other believers today. So we'll be back in tomorrow. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening to our take today. Before we get into the reading, if we could just ask you one thing. Uh, if you've been enjoying the podcast, if you could subscribe to us and then leave a rating and review, we'd love to hear from you. And every rating we get helps us reach more people. Ultimately, we're just trying to reach people with the truth of God's word and your review will help us do that. So thanks so much for being invested in the podcast. Here's the reading for today. Ezekiel chapter 40. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was struck down, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me to the city. In visions of God, he brought me to the land of Israel and set me down on a very high mountain, on which was a structure like a city to the south. When he brought me there, behold, there was a man whose appearance was like bronze, with a linen cord and a measuring reed in his hand. And he was standing in the gateway. And the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears. 
and set your heart upon all that I shall show you, for you were brought here in order that I might show it to you. Declare all that you see to the house of Israel. And behold, there was a wall around all the outside of the temple area, and the length of the measuring reed in the man's hand was six long cubits, each being a cubit and a handbreadth in length. So he measured the thickness of the wall, one reed, and the height, one reed. Then he went into the gateway facing east, going up its steps, and measured the threshold of the gate, one reed deep, and the side rooms, one reed long and one reed broad, and the space between the side rooms, five cubits, and the threshold of the gate by the vestibule of the gate at the inner end, one reed. Then he measured the vestibule of the gateway on the inside, one reed. Then he measured the vestibule of the gateway, eight cubits, and its jams, two cubits, and the vestibule of the gate was at the inner end. And there were three side rooms on either side of the east gate. The three were of the same size, and the jams of either side were of the same size. Then he measured the width of the opening of the gateway, ten cubits, and the length of the gateway, thirteen cubits. There was a barrier before the side rooms, one cubit on either side, and the side rooms were six cubits on either side. Then he measured the gate from the ceiling of the one side room to the ceiling of the other, a breadth of twenty-five cubits. The opening faced each other. He measured also the vestibule, sixty cubits, and around the vestibule of the gateway was the court. From the front of the gate at the entrance to the front of the inner vestibule of the gate was fifty cubits, and the gateway had windows all around, narrowing inwards toward the side rooms and towards their jams, and likewise the vestibule had windows all around inside, and the jams were palm trees. Then he brought me into the outer court, and behold, there were chambers and a pavement all around the court. Thirty chambers faced the pavement and the pavement ran along the side of the gates corresponding to the length of the gates. This was the lower pavement. Then he measured the distance from the inner front of the lower gate to the outer front of the inner court, a hundred cubits on the east side and on the north side. As for the gate that faced toward the north, belonging to the outer court, he measured its length and its breadth. In side rooms, three either side, and its jams and its vestibules were the same size as those of the first gate. Its length was fifty cubits, and its breadth twenty-five cubits, and its windows, its vestibule, and its palm trees were of the same size of those of the gate that faced towards the east, and by seven steps people would go up to it and find its vestibule before them, and opposite the gate on the north as on the east was a gate to the inner court, and he measured that from gate to gate a hundred cubits. And he led me toward the south, and behold there was a gate on the south, and he measured its jams and its vestibule. They had the same size as the others. Both it and its vestibule had windows all around, like the windows on the others. Its length was fifty cubits and its breadth twenty-five cubits, and there were seven steps leading up to it, and its vestibule was before them, and it had palm trees on its jams on either side. And there was a gate on the south of the inner court, and he measured from gate to gate toward the south a hundred cubits. Then he brought me to the inner court through the south gate, and he measured the south gate. It was of the same size as the others. Its side rooms, its jams, and its vestibules were of the same size as the others, and both it and its vestibule had windows all around. Its length was about fifty cubits, and its breadth twenty-five cubits. And there were vestibules all around, twenty-five cubits long and five cubits broad. Its vestibule faced the outer court, and the palm trees were on its jams, and its stairway had eight steps. Then he brought me to the inner court on the east side, and he measured the gate. It was the same size as the others. Its side rooms, its jams, and its vestibule were of the same size as the others, and both it and its vestibule had windows all around. Its length was fifty cubits, and its breadth twenty-five cubits, 
Its vestibule faced the outer court, and it had palm trees on its jams on either side, and its stairway had eight steps. Then he brought me to the north gate, and he measured it. It had the same size as the others. Its side rooms, its jams, and its vestibule were of the same size as the others, and it had windows all around. Its length were 50 cubits, and the breadth 25 cubits. Its vestibule faced the outer court, and it had palm trees on its jams, on either side, and its stairway had eight steps. There was a chamber with its door on the vestibule of the gate, where the burnt offering was to be washed, and in the vestibule of the gate were two tables on either side, on which the burnt offering and the sin offering and the guilt offerings were to be slaughtered. And off to the side, on the outside, as one goes up to the entrance of the north gate, were two tables, and off to the other side of the vestibule of the gate were two tables. Four tables were on either side of the gate, eight tables on which to slaughter, and there were four tables of hewn stone for the burnt offering, a cubit and a half long, and a cubit and a half broad, and one cubit high, on which the instruments were to be laid with which the burnt offerings and the sacrifices were slaughtered. And hooks, a handbreadth long, were fastened all around within. And on the tables, the flesh of the offering was to be laid. On the outside of the inner gateway, there were two chambers in the inner court, one at the side of the north gate facing south, and the other at the side of the south facing north. And he said to me, This chamber that faces south is for the priests who have charge of the temple, and the chamber that faces north is for the priests who have charge of the altar. These are the sons of Zadok, who alone among the sons of Levi may come near the Lord to minister to him. And he measured the court, a hundred cubits long and a hundred cubits broad, a square, and the altar was in front of the temple. Then he brought me to the vestibule of the temple and measured its jams of the vestibule, five cubits on either side. And the breadth of the gate was fourteen cubits, and the side walls of the gate were three cubits on either side. The length of the vestibule was twenty cubits, and the breadth twelve cubits, and people would go up to it by ten steps. And there were pillars beside the jams, one on either side. Chapter 41 then he brought me to the nave and measured the jams. On each side, six cubits was the breadth of the jams. And the breadth of the entrance was ten cubits, and the side walls of their entrance were five cubits on either side. And he measured the length of the nave, forty cubits, and its breadth twenty cubits. Then he went into the inner room and measured the jams of the entrance, two cubits, and the entrance six cubits, and the side walls on either side of the entrance seven cubits. Then he measured the length of the room, twenty cubits, and its breadth, twenty cubits, across the nave. And he said to me, This is the most holy place. Then he measured the wall of the temple, six cubits thick, and the breadth of the side of the chambers, four cubits, all around the temple. And the side chambers were in three stories, one over the other, thirty in each story. There were offsets all around the wall of the temple to serve as supports for the side chambers, so that they should not be supported by the wall of the temple. And it became broader as it wound upward, to the side chambers, because the temple was enclosed upward all around the temple. Thus the temple had a broad area upward, and so one went up from the lowest story to the top story through the middle story. I saw also that the temple had a raised platform all around. The foundations of the side chambers measured a full reed of six long cubits. The thickness of the outer wall of the side chambers was five cubits. The free space between the side chambers of the temple and the other chambers was a breadth of twenty cubits all around the temple on every side. And the doors of the side chambers opened on the free space, one door toward the north and another door toward the south, and the breadth of the free space was five cubits all around. The building that was facing the separate yard on the west side was seventy cubits broad, and the wall of the building was five cubits thick all around and its length ninety cubits. Then he measured the temple, a hundred cubits long, and the yard of the building with its walls, a hundred cubits long, also the breadth of the east front of the temple of the yard, a hundred cubits.
Then he measured the length of the building facing the yard that was at the back and its galleries on this either side a hundred cubits. The inside of the nave and the vestibules of the court, the thresholds and the narrow windows and the galleries all around, the three of them, opposite the threshold, were paneled with wood all around, from the floor up to the windows, now the windows were covered, to the space above the door, even in the inner room, and on the outside, and on the walls all around, inside and outside, was a measured pattern. It was carved of cherubim and palm trees, a palm tree between cherub and cherub. Every cherub had two faces, a human face toward the palm tree on the one side, and the face of a young lion toward the palm tree on the other side. They were carved in the temple all around. From the floor to above the door, cherubim and palm trees were carved, similarly the wall of the nave. The doorposts of the nave were squared, and in front of the holy place was something resembling an altar of wood, three cubits high, two cubits long, and two cubits broad. Its corners, its base, and its walls were of wood. He said to me, This is the table that is before the Lord. The nave and the holy place had each a double door. The double doors had two leaves apiece, two swinging leaves for each door, and on the doors of the nave were carved cherubim and palm trees, such as were carved on the walls, and there was a canopy of wood in front of the vestibule outside, and there were narrow windows and palm trees on either side, on the side walls of the vestibule, the side chambers of the temple, and the canopies. Thanks so much for listening to God's Plan, Your Part. If anything stuck out to you, if you have any questions, or if you'd like to receive a Bible, you can email us at godsplanyourpart at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider supporting us through the link in our description. We love that you're on this journey with us, and we hope you have a great day. See you tomorrow.